I was born in Romania to two Romanian parents. Romania runs in my blood. And because I was born disabled, I was born with no lower arms and a twisted right leg, I was placed in an orphanage when I was very young. I was discovered by to a British couple, Doreen and Ken Munn, who were delivering aid to Suchava Orphanage, and they adopted me, and they're my mum and dad. I went to the University of Oxford in the UK. Uh, I studied philosophy and theology at bachelor's and master's degree level. I believe God had a plan for my life. I believe that I, that I believe that things happen for a reason. Disabled people, can not only be just as good as things, but can be better at things, can be the best at things. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our cafe online. It's so great that you can be tuning in uh, to us here at Oakwood Church, wherever you're tuning in, whether you're looking out the window in Caterham and you can see the snow falling, or whether you're uh, overseas or in a different part of the UK, it's so great that we can be tuning in together like this. So a big warm welcome to you, especially maybe if this is the first time that you've tuned into something like this, um, a church service, or a cafe online. And you might be questioning, why is it a cafe? We're all in our houses and all the coffee shops are shut, aren't they? Uh, but we would usually be in the, in the Oakwood Church building uh, with teas and coffees and, and cakes um, sat around tables. Uh, but unfortunately, we can't be doing that. Uh, in these circumstances, but we are so grateful that we have uh, technology to enable us to uh, tune in together like this. And do grab yourself a tea or a coffee, uh, maybe a bit of cake if you've got it there, uh, to make it feel like a cafe, um, even if we're uh, in our homes. Uh, but it's so amazing that we can be doing this together this morning. And we've got a great morning lined up for you all. We've got an uh, interview with Cornell. Um, he's a drummer and a bass guitarist, um, and he's going to be sharing his life story. We've got a chance to uh, watch some of his uh, drumming, and we've also got a chance to ask questions, and we'll be doing that later on through Slido. Uh, so do be thinking throughout the uh, interview, how can I, uh, what, what questions can I be asking Cornell later on? Uh, but we've got um, Phil, who's going to be interviewing us, uh, interviewing Cornell, and uh, I'm going to bring uh, Phil on now. Uh, good morning, Phil. Uh, it's great to have you with us. Um, Phil, for, for those of us who, who don't know you, um, who are you uh, and what do you do? Hi, James. Um, so I'm one of the elders of the church. Um, so I do a lot of the preaching here um, and, and a lot of the pastoral work. Um, so that's my role um, at, at Oakhall. Brilliant. And um, tell us, how, how do you know Cornell? Ah, so it kind of betrays my age a little bit. Um, about 15 years ago, I was Cornell's youth leader in his church. Very nice, very nice. Well, talking of Cornell, we're going to uh, bring Cornell on now and uh, we're going to get a chance to hear his story. So welcome, Cornell. Morning, Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's blessing and a privilege and a pleasure to be here today with all of you this morning. Thanks, Cornell. Th listen, thanks so much for just um, giving us giving us your time this morning. Um, it's, it's really good to be able to chat to you about um, a, about your life. Um, 
I kind of see it as an ordinary life, you know, state school kid, um, homegrown uni, um, person who's working like everybody else at work, um, but extraordinary also in the things you've done and the places you've been um, and the things you've had to go through as well. Um, so it'd be really lovely if it's all right for us to just bombard you with a shed load of questions and, uh, and ask you to talk through um, your life. Um, so I, I think it would be good to just, uh, just take us from the very beginning. Um, so tell us about your, your early life and um, your circumstances around your birth, parents, and how you, you came to this country. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's go all the way back, shall we? Um, uh, I was born, like most other people, um, I was born in Romania um, in 1991. So it was just after the dictator Ceausescu's re regime. So uh, essentially, it was a, a ex-Soviet type dictatorship regime in a country that was really struggling. It was, you know, almost, you know, almost third world sort of levels of poverty and things like that. And I was born to two Romanian parents with no lower arms and a twisted right leg. And essentially the view in Romania was that anybody who's disabled in any sort of way would be um, placed in an orphanage, left abandoned, because the view in Romania was essentially that disabled people were worth less than animals. That was a quote from Ceausescu and that was a quote from government officials around that sort of time. So it was an attitude that although Ceausescu had gone, been gone nearly two years at this point, um, it was an attitude that was pervaded continuously um, for the next few years, essentially, in Romania. Disabled people were worthless, essentially. So I was placed in an orphanage. I was taken by my, I was taken by a doctor from my mother and father and placed in an orphanage with no hope, essentially. Um, no, no birth certificate. I was expected to die. Um, they didn't bother making me a birth certificate because of that reason. And placed in an orphanage, essentially, when I was very, very young, uh, as soon as I was born, pretty much. Wow. So how did you... How did you come to this country then? Yeah, so this is, I mean, I honestly, I don't have time to go into everything about it. So there was um, there was a Worcestershire couple, um, Doreen and Ken Munn, who were aid workers for Romania. And they would gather together supplies, various things from the UK, from the Worcester area. And they would either lead a team or be part of a team that would take over aid in lorries to various parts of Romania. So that was to hospitals, orphanages, institutions, places like that. And they made a number of trips over the years. I mean, it still amazes me today seeing my mum today. Um, bless her. I can't imagine her driving through Brussels in rush hour traffic. But that's what she did a number of times in a big old articulated lorry. So, you know, it was amazing what they managed, what they achieved. And they would bring aid to all sorts of different places. And actually, um, Ken Munn, now my adoptive dad, I'll get to that. Um, he documented the whole thing and took a lot of film and things like that. And one of the orphanages they visited on one of the trips was the one which I was in. And um, the orphanage staff asked Doreen and Ken and the aid team if there was anything that could be done for me in the UK medically treatment wise because I had my twisted leg and my no lower arms and things like that and after again I'm cutting this story very very short but after discussions and various things like that I was brought to the UK to see if there could be any treatment or anything for me and it turned out that a private hospital in Worcester um, offered to amputate my leg um, there was a couple of options for me when I was brought over um, I could have had around 700 operations, which would have all taken place in, I think it was Q8, and that would have rectified my leg, potentially, it might not have done, but 700 operations to keep it going around, it's possibly, I might not have even finished those today, so who knows, but um, the decision was made by Dorian and Ken, who brought me over to have the leg amputated, because that was the best thing in consultation with the doctor, and I'm grateful for that, 
because now I can wear an artificial leg on it, which is excellent. But one of the conditions of the doctor performing the amputation was that I would remain in the UK until I was fully grown, essentially. Mm. So I would have to stay here. Um, and I've I imagine... I imagine that decision was made on the basis that your your future in Romania, even with that operation, would still be in doubt. You, you wouldn't have still a future in, in Romania. Uh, quite possibly not. So the provision for prosthetic limbs and various things like that was pretty much non-existent in the you know wow. in the early nineties. So the decision was made to keep me in the UK, and that was when Dorian and Ken made that decision um, to adopt me. And I became I became their son right then. So that was. Very, uh, very part of my early life was something which I'm incredibly grateful for. Yeah. Um, I'm incredibly grateful for that, for the care they showed me. They're my mum and dad, essentially. I don't see them any other way. And yeah. they were also Christians, and I was blessed enough to be raised in a very faithful Christian home growing wow. up. So that was, yeah, fantastic. So your childhood then, so um, grow, growing up in this country then, um, did you go to any special schools or, or, or just... Did they throw you into the into the the middle of of of, of, of primary school and 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 go for it? No, I was in mainstream school for all of my education. No special schools, no private schools either. So just um, <laughs> mainstream state education all the way through from uh, mainstream primary school, mainstream secondary school, state secondary school, and then a very large, relatively rough sixth form college for the last couple of years before university. So yeah was just sort of thrown in and seemed to excel. I quite I, I quite enjoyed parts of school, other parts of school I didn't enjoy so much, but yeah, just mainstream education all the way through. So here's a question. Were you, were you ever, were you ever um, uh, sort of, were you ever given, given a, a detention for anything um, properly wrong at school or were you, were you a good boy? Uh, it, it varied. It depends what era of me that you're talking about. I mean, in, 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 I mean, in primary school, I was good all the way through until when I wasn't, and then I'd usually get bored, and then would, I don't know, disrupt an assembly or something, and then would <laughs> have a day sat with the teachers. Um, in secondary school, I started well, went off the boil a little bit. Um, my grades were still pretty high and pretty good, so I just got a bit bored, to be honest, again. So I would, um, wouldn't be disruptive as such, but would try and make my own fun. You know, various things would happen, various <laughs> various incidents that I would get detention for. It wasn't one of the worst, but I was, you know, wasn't one of the best. Somewhere in the middle, behaviour-wise, really. You were an ordinary kid. You were just uh, muddling along ordinary kid in an in, in a ordinary primary school, secondary school thing. Yeah, pretty much. There wasn't yeah. really, it's pretty unremarkable, the sort of my, you know, my behaviour and things like and various things like that. Pretty, pretty normal, you know? Yeah. And um, so, Alongside um, school, alongside an ordinary sort of childhood, um, you were also going to, to church regularly. Um, do you want to take us through, you know, um, that side of things? Uh, what was happening spiritually in, in, those, in those early years, in those school years? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, early on, um, my parents, adoptive parents, um, made it known that they were Christians and took me to church and would teach me you know, the teachings of Jesus and the tenets of the Bible the best they could, as well as going to church and Sunday school and various things like that. And actually, I'm blessed that they were pretty honest with me at a very young age that I couldn't be born into a Christian home or even adopted into a Christian home. It must be a decision that is made for yourself, you know, recognise that um, God loves me, but I'm a sinner. And fortunately, it's an amazing gift that I don't have to rectify that being being a sinner, that relationship with God on my own, it's something which Jesus has done for me through His death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. So they told me that at a very young age, and 
um, I think I was around four or five. First of all, I don't I don't have an exact date or my, uh, exact date of of it, but I do remember the moment where I felt compelled to pray the prayer and know that um, I needed to give my life to Jesus and I needed to um, acknowledge my sin, but also acknowledge His love for me and acknowledge the change He could make in my heart. So that was a very young age. So throughout school, um, I was always I always had this belief I always had church going on alongside it as well um mm. alongside my school friends I had a lot of church friends which are a lot of, a lot I still keep in touch with today which is excellent which is a privilege um it wasn't all smooth sailing so when going to secondary school um I was still going to church um maybe sometimes willingly maybe sometimes not but quite simply I just lost a bit of interest it's pretty you know often it's quite a standard story from you know, a teenager's perspective. It wasn't so much that I didn't believe, because I, I, I've always said this, that um, even when it seems like I'm losing interest and don't really want to go to church and don't want to live like I'm a Christian, don't want to live with that sanctification, live with the, you know, like God wants me to under God's law, my disobedience didn't really change my belief in much. So I could be doing something which, I won't go into specifics, but was, you know, awful. You wouldn't want a Christian see a Christian doing that. But then as soon as somebody would say something against my faith, God didn't exist or something along those lines. Mm. I would defend it intellectually. I always would. I always felt like that. I was always pretty stubborn with that sort of thing. Um, even when I just simply wasn't living like that at all. You know, if, if I didn't tell you I was a Christian or you didn't know any of those, you know, know any of those interactions with me, you wouldn't know, quite frankly. But mm. the reason I believe I was still saved in those times is because it was passionate to me. It was, a, Although I'd argue intellectually about it, even in my darkest times, it was something I knew that was coming deep from my heart, really. And later on into high school sixth form sort of time, it was a bit later, a bit later on, um, I was invited by a couple of youth leaders um, in Worcester. Um, Phil knows them as well. Um, Ryan and Annie um, Mulliet from a, who ran a youth programme at a church in Worcester. And I was invited there. And actually, I was around other people who were Christians. Some of them were Christians, some of them were not Christians. And the first thing that struck me about it is actually... I'm interested in spending time with these people. This is fun. This is more fun than my lifestyle. This is more interesting. This is more, you know, this is greater. This is much better. And actually it was through that and through that nurturing that I realized that actually the obedience to God's law can, is a much better way to live. I was, I was feeling much more satisfied in my interactions with other people and my um, studies with God and my, you know, private times with God as well as going to church had new significance for me and it really prepared me and sort of brought me back in that sense because that fellowship was just so wonderful and knowing that was that could only come through the kingdom of God and that was only that community that comes through God's kingdom and God's provision so I mean that's a I mean like I said I was at young children's clubs and youth clubs growing up and I loved all those I really did but there were times in my teenage years where I just you know it wasn't an interest to me because God's law wasn't an interest to me but then having been brought back from that, I see the difference night and day in my life and how actually much more satisfied and fulfilled I felt. Spending time with other believers, spending time under, it was under God's law, but it was it was a freedom I'd not felt really at all in my spiritual walk. It was a refreshing, but it was also a new thing. And I that's really the story up until in my school days, how my faith looked like, what my faith looked like really. So there's a, there's a sense in which, um, forgive me, um, you used a couple of words which might might be a little bit unfamiliar to people. Uh, words like sin. Um, what what do you, what what do you mean by by sin and being a sinner? Because yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, of course. So sin, to me, it, it, it means two things. Very simply, sin is the bad things that I do, the bad things that I think, the bad part of my nature. And secondly, sin is what is stopping me and humanity from being in relationship with the perfect nature of God. So it's those two things. It's living my own way and living things which are contrary to God's law. It's the bad things. And it's the condition which all humanity has that stops us from God being able to look at us because he's perfect, quite frankly. And it was both of those things together and those things that were um, refreshed and taken away, if you will, by what I saw as Jesus' death and resurrection. So it's that renewal of understanding my sin and understanding that living under God's law and being apart from that sin, not being dead to sin anymore, was that amazing thing. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's kind of your your life. Um, and thanks for ex- explaining that so well. So you've got this this childhood in a normal primary school, secondary school, but you've also got this. Um, uh, and you said with Ryan and Annie, this, this spiritual awakening um, that said actually you've you've ex- you know when you were five or six, you accepted jesus as the one who's taken away your sin um and then later on in your teens you grew to know what it is to live with jesus as the the king of your life as it were um and and and, as you said under his law um so take us through um take us through those those days when um you're um you're moving away from from school and into into university um, what's the what 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 was what, what was going on in, in those years? So these were some good years in the build-up to university. So in I was in Worcester Sixth Form College. Um, I loved my time at Worcester Sixth Form College. That was part a rough of, place, is that right? It was, yeah, but I loved it there. I mean, part of the reason was because, to be honest with you, I was never really there that much. I mean, it was it was it was uh, the way that my timetable worked out. It was a Monday morning lesson of. Um, Oh, I think it was English or something, English A-level. And then I had like a, that was a 9am. Then I had another one at 2pm and 3pm. And that was it really on a Monday, for example. So I would usually go to a friend's house straight after the 9am. Sometimes if I didn't get up for the 9am, I was a bit late, then I just wouldn't bother going to that. And then other times later on, you know, would be at my friend's house and it'd be time to go back at two o'clock. I was like, well, there's not much point going back now, is there? So I wasn't there an awful lot. <laughs> and and if, I'm, if I'm right, the friend had a lot of interest in Call of Duty. Is is that right? Uh, it was more. It was more. To be honest with you, it was more stomach-led. It was more KFC. We'd go, we'd go, we'd go sit outside KFC and wait until it opened at ten o'clock in the morning, which is a bit sad now when you think about it, really. But it was all we all piled into my car, and we'd sit outside KFC and take it back to my mate's house and just watch rubbish TV for most of the day. To be honest. <laughs> okay, so how did how how did you? How, um... Yeah. There's, there's obviously How more to marry it. that with, yeah. with where you ended up at university. <laughs> there's more to it than that. So actually, um, uh, despite my failings on attendance and various other things, um, I was doing quite well grade-wise. So I'd got a good set of GCSE results from year 11. Um, I was feeling much more happy and re-energized in myself because I was with a group of Christians in fellowship, walking in fellowship with the Lord at this point, absolutely loving it. And my A-levels were going quite well to be honest with you so this is my first year of A-levels I'd never really thought about it before but it re- I realised I was getting good grades on things all my exams were modular and they were all coming and they were all going incredibly well basically um, despite me not being there very often uh, which was you know it was a blessing but a lesson I'd have to learn hard later on but um, yeah things were going quite well and it turned out that 
end of first year, there was a program for people whose parents and families had never been to university. So first member of your family to go to university. That would have been me. And it was a day in Oxford doing a course that you might have been interested in. And it was the philosophy department at my sixth form college that actually put me forward for this because I was doing quite well in the exams. And I went there for a day and we essentially it was like an all day philosophy tutorial. And I absolutely loved it. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the intellectual stimulation, the conversations that we had, the chance to think outside the box, the chance to you know, engage with some of the most influential thinkers of the past sort of thousand years almost in all in one day. And I thought I could really get used to that. I could, I, you know, I'd absolutely love that. Wow. And for us, then for the first time ever, you know, right up until, you know, end of first year of sixth form, first time ever, I realized that maybe going to Oxford could be, could be an option for me, potentially. I didn't realize it, I didn't think about it, it didn't cross my mind, um, could be an option for me. Um, then my, uh, skip forward a few months, my, a my AS level results, so first year A level results came out and kind of confirmed that. Um, I had enough to get me through, essentially, in my first year to see this as a real significant possibility. So, um, You'd think that would change my work ethic in second year. Um, I wish it had. It didn't so much. But um, can, I just, can I just interrupt this program to say we do not endorse Cornell's no. attitude to academia and would endorse that everybody works really hard instead, particularly my children. Sorry, yeah. thank you, Cornell. Let me carry on. <laughs> the, the, whole, the whole work hard thing comes in a bit later when <laughs> it does. <laughs> so, yeah, the grades were going well and they decided to apply to Oxford because I realized that I'd done quite well in my A-level so far. Um, went to interview, really enjoyed the interview process, um, but didn't know, really know what course to do. So um, one of my big weakness is, is, well, a couple of big weaknesses are maths and languages, for example. I'm not really, I'm not really interested in math particularly. I like the concepts, but not overly interested in doing it. I find it very difficult. And languages I've never really engaged with. And to do philosophy at Oxford, you had to do it with a combined honors degree. And I wasn't really interested in philosophy and languages or philosophy and physics, although that would have interested me. I'm not good enough at maths for it. Philosophy and maths was a course. The next one was philosophy and theology. And from very wise spiritual people in my life, very wise pastors and youth leaders and various people, I'd heard that doing philosophy at a university was a very bad idea. It can challenge your faith. It can really attack your faith and things like that. And me being relatively stubborn, but also quite confident in my faith. It's a bit of a bit of both here. I don't think it's just my stubbornness, the confidence in my faith thought, you know, with the right guidance and the right people in place, I can do this if I'm supported. So I applied for philosophy and theology and I got in with it. Um, I got an offer with it and got the grades and ended up getting into Oxford to study philosophy and theology. Mm. And it was, it was just a terrible three years in truth. It was awful. I mean, what I, for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, I didn't feel like my faith was attacked there for, from the course point of view, but that doesn't mean the course was necessarily beneficial for a Christian, for a believer to do. What it was, was a lot of scholars, a lot of people who are intellectuals studying things that are just not, just didn't feel relevant to me. It was studying the Bible in such a way that it was just a literary document. That's all it was. It was like studying English literature, for example, it was studying the Bible in that such a way. And that didn't interest me took the wonder out of it you know this is an inspired document the word of god and here's this course trying to do all it can to just make it words on a page and that's not what i'm there for that's not interesting to me and just studying really irrelevant things irrelevant topics like focusing on like sort of focusing on the gospels being you know polemics against rome and various things like that whereas really the gospels are the amazing story of jesus and what he's done for us yeah. and the attack on my faith came in a much more subtle way than i you know i didn't expect it i could handle the 
tutors that I had that didn't believe in God because they didn't believe in God and I did believe in God and I was pretty secure in that. I praise God for that as well, quite frankly, that it didn't shake me that way. But my own personal Bible times became extremely difficult because I found because of the way that they would ingrain studying theology into you, I found reading the Bible dry because that was all I was doing. And I found it very difficult to do so, to have that, you know, that inspired word of God, what I was reading through. And that was the biggest struggle from a course point of view. And I mean, there were other things surrounding it that made me really dislike my three years there as well. I mean, I won't go into too many details now, but I felt like the tutors there, I did feel like they had a, they had an, they had an issue with me for reasons I can't really pick up. So they would critique my work harsher than anybody else's on the course. Um, they wouldn't recognise achievements if I'd had good grades somewhere marked independently, if I'd got good grades in some of my assignments. Um, I got the highest in the year a few times, and that indicates an academic prize and credit towards your end degree, and they'd find some reason not to give it to me all the time. And they'd just grind me down every sort of time. They'd always call me in for meetings. I was accused of lying by one of the tutors about something and called into senior senior academic meeting there about that um i can categorically say i never said what i was accused to have said it just didn't happen quite simply i don't even know where they got it from and it felt like almost a personal attack and i i don't know why i don't know if it was due to my sort of you know orthodoxy christianity or whether it was due to um my disability or background i don't, I don't know i don't want to pick any of those things up but and I don't know what it was, but that was difficult. I found other things difficult there. I found the Christian Union quite difficult. I found it quite a to be quite a clique of people. I found church to be the same thing, although, I mean, the only thing that kept me going to church those three years, the church I was in, there was two things, really. One, I played music every week, and I loved it. The music team were of a really excellent high standard, and I loved being part of that, sort of an iron sharpens iron type thing, and it was really yeah. amazing playing that. But also the preaching was excellent, and it kept me fed, and it kept me, you know, going spiritually there but I found it so difficult I really did I, I hated my three years there for various reasons for you know even when I didn't seem like I could find solace in other Christians and other you know in fellowship organizations and churches and you know it seemed like the odds were stacked against me whilst I was there I mean praise God I got out of there with the grade that I wanted I got a you know decent grade the grade that everyone you know the grade that everyone really aims for at university it's not a first just to clarify but but that was hard work just to go back to the whole Returning to the hard work thing, it was three assignments a week, 2,000 words e e at least each, um, you know, between somewhere between 10 and 20 hours of reading for each one. It was just very, very difficult. Wow. So, And I had to work. I stepped up and I did. And it was the workload on top of everything else was incredibly difficult. And I'm, I'm not a, I don't like playing the victim. I hate that sort of thing, whether it's in my personal life or disability or academia, I don't like doing that. But it felt like an attack from somewhere those three years, quite frankly. It felt like everything seemed to go wrong, even mm. though fortunately the outcome was was good, what I wanted in the end. Wow. So, golly, so coming out, having um, gone from a, a, a great context of home and church and uh, sixth form, you, you went through those three years of um, of uni that were, that were a real struggle and um, a bit of an attack on you. Um, as a person, um, what what did you do? What what happened after uni? Did you did you sort of go through crisis of confidence, or what what happened? Uh, I mean, generally, two things really happened. Um, my mental health took a bit of a battering, unfortunately, and I was just not feeling very joyful in anything. I found you know joy a real struggle in all things, really, in relationships, in um, life, and what I did, and all sorts of things. But what I did when I left university is 
I came back home. I went back to Worcester because I had that excellent fellowship there and my family, my friends, people like that. And I absolutely loved it. So actually finishing was a relief because I could come back to that almost safe haven that I have. I feel so grateful to God to provided me with that support network and with my church there and with my friends and family there. And actually coming back from university um, after, I mean, immediately afterwards, I tried to jump straight into another, straight into something, straight into more study and training. So I was training as a solicitor for um, just over a year. And unfortunately, due to ill health surrounding that, I wasn't able to complete that. It was jumping straight back into something so demanding. It was an, I was unable to complete it, which was a real shame. I was gutted not to complete that. But afterwards, I was offered an opportunity to work at the church I was at, which was Manor Park Church Worcester at the time. And that was to work with them doing ministry training, um, leading home community groups, preaching, learning pastoral visits, doing that sort of thing as well. And actually, that was that was exactly what I needed. I was amazed for, and I was really grateful for that provision and that sort of nurturing and training that I received there. So training on how to preach, how to deliver God's word, training on how to do those things. And I loved working for that church. And actually, I think working for the church is the best thing. I've, is the best job I've had so far. So yeah. that was that was what I did straight away afterwards. And I did it for it was only a six month position, but I absolutely loved doing it there. It was fantastic. Wow. So that's what I did when I came back straight away. Wow, wow. And and then so from was that a kind of a um almost a gap year post, uh, sort of post, post uni gap year? Uh, almost. I'd already, done, I'd already done a solicitor training for a year, you know, with, um, and doing some paralegal work alongside that. So it was almost a, almost a career break to do a different job, really. So, I, I mean, I saw it as a bit of a break, but also, you know, a real job as well and something that I wanted to do and potentially yeah. in some capacity in the future. And, yeah, I loved it. So what's your, what's your role at the moment? What do you do? What do, you do what's, your, what's your work at the moment? So I've carved out a bit of a career in um, accessibility, disability accessibility, through um, a number of jobs that I've had, basically. So at the moment, I work for um, Cheshire West and Chester Council. So I live up in on the border of North Wales and Shropshire at the moment. We're about to move over from the border in North Wales over to the over to the North Shropshire side um, of things. Which, never mind. Going which, the wrong way for now. You're going the wrong way. No, I'm going exactly the way I want to go. I'm going the right way, Phil. <laughs> Telling you now. <laughs> <laughs> And um, yeah. how, and obviously married to Jasmine. Um, yep. Where did you meet Jasmine? How long have you been married? So actually, I met Jasmine when I was working for Manor Park Church. We both happened to be at the same ministry training course. It was the Midlands Ministry Ministry Training Course (MMTC). Um, we were both attending there. She was doing youth work for her church and was doing ministry type training, and I was working for Manor Park Church in Worcester at the time, doing my sort of ministry training chip slash job thing I was doing and yeah we met there really and got talking and it just got closer and it kind of went from there so we you know, dating for a couple of years we got engaged in 2016 got married in 2017 so we've been married very nearly four years it'd be four years in April um, wow well congratulations uh, thank you and so um take us through that 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 period of um of working, of, of, of finishing ministry training at Manor Park and to, to where you are now in work. What, what was going on in those years? Yeah, absolutely. So I finished at Manor Park. It was something we'd agreed upon. It was only going to be temporary because, you know, whether I was going to go into full-time ministry or not, I didn't know. But also everybody, every all the wise people I looked up to said that it was worthwhile not just going either 
theological academic study or working ministry full-time or things like that but it was good to get some real world working world experience and it's something I completely agreed with I completely saw the logic and agreed and actually to get some good solid years in the working world and see where I was going with it would be excellent so um, I was applying for jobs um, a lot of my university friends had excellent jobs at this point you know really good opportunities and I thought yeah this would be great I can use my experience which I've had I've got various experience you know quite high level experiences in various different things I've done from university and afterwards and actually um, I really struggled to get any sort of level of employment I mean I ended up in a company in Worcester that was actually paying me less than minimum wage and it was a real struggle I didn't really know why and I was applying for senior positions and getting knocked back I think I applied for like 11 promotions or something like that for various things some of which I would have been ideally qualified for and okay I know maybe it was just unfortunate that I didn't get any of them that's you know I'm not bitter about that as such if I didn't know some of the information behind it so I knew that I'd got to the finalist shortlisting stage of one of them and the recruiting manager had just removed my name with no explanation from that for example um, I was removed from the shortlist and I was doing this and trying to move up and trying to move and keep doing these things and eventually I just got tired of it and ended up leaving the company and went to another place which respected me to be fair for my you know disability I have no issues for the next company I worked for but it was still a low paid job it wasn't anything a low paid low, you know not menial but it wasn't particularly engaging or intellectual with no growth prospects really and I really struggled to get into these high level positions that a lot of my friends had done so and I wonder you know for the first time really in my life I wondered is it actually going to be my disability that's holding me back because I always declared in various places not just on the you know, there's equality and diversity forms you declare on jobs, but in various parts of my application, I would actively use my disability as certain in certain examples for job interview questions and things like that, or before I got to interview. And I wondered if it was something to do with that. And the more and more I looked into it and looked at the stats and looked at various things that employers liked and disliked and various things like that, the more I learned that maybe my disability is stopping me from getting work not because of anything i can't do particularly but maybe because of attitudes mm. now i know the job market isn't easy for anybody but to get nothing after the amount of applications i'd done i knew i was working at least as hard if not a lot harder than all my peers whether they went to oxford or not to get up to get work and actually you know a number of there was a number of surveys and things which i looked into i looked into some research around this topic and found out that um it's a it was um i think it was 70 percent of of a thousand business leaders surveyed said that they would have issue employing a disabled person into a mid-senior or any leadership position ever just because of worries that were completely unfounded and I realized that there was a problem with this and actually thought maybe there's a career to be carved around this not only to help myself out but actually to help other people and started looking into sort of different roles which were disability related so I worked for mm. Um, various companies. I worked for a company with Rem, called Remploy, helping disabled people get jobs and things like that. And that was an interesting learning curve. And mm -hmm. then worked for Department of Work and Pensions. I worked for them, actually giving them disability advice and consultancy and working for their partnerships team, getting in provision to help disabled people into work and things like that. And the more I realized that actually this is a good thing I can do so people, disabled people who are capable don't have the same experience that I do of being not back in the workplace but have similar opportunities, is to work in this sphere and to work on that. And actually, that's where I'm up to now pretty much after a couple of other government jobs. I'm working for the company I work for, helping accessibility across the region, not just in work, but in general in life. So, and that's something which I'm really passionate about actually is disability access through built environment, information, but also attitudes and sort of challenging different attitudes that, you know, 
might be based on stereotypes or might simply not be true. There are things I've encountered that are just like simply not true from some people. So that's where I am career-wise and that's kind of what shaped it so far. And I'm quite optimistic about my future with my career. So there's, you know, there's progression opportunities in my com company and elsewhere. And it's, yeah, something which I'm quite looking forward to seeing where I can go from here, seeing where God's going to lead me after this. Hmm. So let me ask, let me ask a, a question that, that might, that might be, um, at your academic level. Um, you've been through some really, really tough experiences. Um, you've, you've been through prejudice, you've been through um, prejudice in the academic world, prejudice in employment. Um, in, those, in those dark days, um, where was your hope and comfort? I mean, the, ans the answer, of course, from, from my faith point of view, of course, is Comfort is in comfort is in Jesus. My comfort is in the salvation I have through Him. I mean, in the tough times which I have been through, I thank God that they're temporary, um, but also that we can have peace beyond understanding right now because we're in God's kingdom. And if we know Him, He can provide us with that peace beyond all, all understanding. Like Paul said in Philippians, you know, he was in prison writing these letters, but yet had and you know unjustifiably imprisoned, but had that hope and was still writing joyfully and encouraging others. And actually, in those dark days, I knew I could recognize the blessings that I had, quite frankly. And I mean, it seems like the world's falling down in certain places, but I've been very blessed. I a lot of people see, you know, me with adversity, which I've triumphed over and things like that. But I, I think I see my life in a bit of a different way. I've been really blessed with the opportunities that I've had with my family that I've had with my friends, with my church, uh, churches that I've been part of, um, with my marriage, with now with my job. But I know that took a while to get there. Actually, I'm quite positive in looking at those things but I know that I've been really blessed with these things I know that God has really blessed me in these ways and actually but my hope isn't found in those things because these things are temporary these things mm. will slip away one day they'll pass away one day mm. but the hope of the future after that isn't you know it doesn't seem enough sometimes because we're imperfect we're sinful but a lot of times it's Gonna keep, it's the, sometimes it's the only thing that can keep you going. I think that particularly in lockdown, I mean, in this situation now, we're all in the same boat, aren't we? I'm not unique into this. Uh, I hate lockdown. I absolutely hate all these sorts of things. I hate not being able to see people. I love going out and seeing people, being in fellowship with others, you know, friends, family, etc. And it's tough for so many people, especially those who are lonely. And I just, it, I, the comfort I can give is keep in touch with your church, keep in touch with your friends virtually if you can. And most of all, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look at, look, to, look to him and he will provide you with that peace beyond understanding and then good gifts also coming from there, I think. Hmm. Wow, thanks, Cornel. Um, that's really helpful. It's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, it, when, when we were talking this through um, a, a couple of days ago, um, I, I, was, I was surprised that the same prejudice, almost the, the same attitudes that existed um, in, in in Romania when you were born. Uh, so there are strains of that in in this country in employment in in academia. It was it was quite quite humbling, quite shocking actually. Um, but there's another side of your of your life which I haven't really asked, um, and that's your musical side. Um, how how on earth did you get into drumming? People ask me this and it's quite a, they're expecting some sort of, you know, inspirational story. Like I saw, you know, I saw this one drummer and thought, yes, this is my dream. This is what I'm going to follow. But actually it was quite simply, I was offered, you know, the option of music lessons in secondary school when I first started. And 
Secondary school, not primary school. No, secondary school. I started quite late. So um, secondary school. So I was 11, I think, when I first started. And um, I was offered a music lesson. I thought drums would be, at the time, the only thing that I could do. So I thought, mm. let's try it. Let's have a couple of sample lessons and see what happened. Um, quite simply, that was it. Um, I took to it quite quickly. Quite enjoyed it. Um, Realised in different ways I was quite good at it. Um, didn't have many didn't have much money for lessons, so went on to self-teaching after that, which has had its pluses, but has also had its bad habits, which I've picked up from learning drums. I advise if you can get a drum teacher, do get a drum teacher. They're wonderful people. <laughs> I really do advise that. You know, keep taking lessons for as long as it's feasibly possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's really how it sort of took off with that sort of thing. And then um, a few years later down the line, um, I remember. So I, I, a few years later down the line, I picked up a bass pretty much for the first time. Um, the only reason I decided to get a bass was because um, I simply, I sold a cymbal, had a bit of money, left over my drum set, sold a cymbal and bought a bass guitar. Just thought, let's give this a go. And it's kind of gone a little bit from there. <laughs> and yeah, it's grown and grown really from there. It's quite a bit of a mundane story really, but it's grown into something far beyond what I ever imagined at the time when I was younger. I really couldn't even you know believe what where it would take me. And have you done much? So, um... Knowing, knowing what I do about you, you've done uh, quite a lot of charity work, haven't you? Um, have you have you done have you done much through your your drumming at all? Um, sort of, um, um, what, um, what do you call it? Sponsored drumming and things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was younger, I did charity work with various events, mainly sports and physical activities, so swimming and cycling and things like that. I do sponsored versions of those for people. Um, but then later on, when um, we had our own charity it's called the cornell romanian rehabilitation center trust and that was essentially a charity which would go out and do clinical visits and help um, disabled people in romania receive treatment like i've received in the uk so like prosthetic limbs and things like that that would actually fit them something which i would never have had the opportunity to have had and that was a passion that i wanted to follow up and we did that for a number of years and part of my role in that was a lot of fundraising and that would be i mean i did a sponsored drum drumming thing years ago so it was, it was school actually but helped me raise the money for it and it was um uh, 12 hours solid drums that was um i'd only been playing a year when i did that and i didn't quite realize the physical toll it would tell i could hardly move the next day after i'd done that but yeah it was um, um and it was midweek so i still had to go back to school the next day but wow. so that was one thing i did 12 hour drumming but then um later on it was much more sort of sponsored concerts things like that and you know people would come pay to see us if I form a band or something like that. I did a lot of work down in Cornwall. Um, there were some great fundraisers down there that would help raise money um, for us. And that would be through other, playing with other musicians and selling concerts in, it was like small, you know, small festivals sometimes in parks and in um, some of them in churches and some were in other venues. I absolutely love doing that. I love doing the fundraising with the music because it's something I enjoyed. It's something that, you know, I could do without too much input from anywhere else it's something that could be organized quite easily with the musician connections that i had and i absolutely loved doing that so yeah and i did a few couple of tv appearances over the few years with drums as well so I've, it's taken me to places sort of fundraising and beyond actually my music stuff i've absolutely loved it that's that's and uh, and the clip that we showed at the very beginning was um you appearing on romania's got talent um, it was that was an interesting experience when they oh. um asked me to go asked me to go and play there which was yeah it was amazing really i mean it was um i mean yeah obviously being romanian they picked up my story and picked things up like that and um yeah they flew me out there to play on the show so i did what you'd call the traditional audition got four yeses and then um 
COVID hit, so um, the competition didn't go as normal. But they had like the Golden Buzzer finalists. I don't really watch the talent shows that much, but I do know about that. They had the four Golden Buzzer finalists and also a short list of people in a category for a for a fin- for a finalist type thing. Um, which I'd met, which I'd made fortunately, so I was one of the that that category's finalists towards the end. But it was all done virtually, obviously, because of COVID. So that was a challenge. But yes, that was Romania's Got Talent, which was an experience, put it that way. Um, it was in this middle of nowhere, just outside of Bucharest. Everything looked run down and everything like that. And then the studio itself was pristine, was beautiful, but everything, even just backstage, was falling to pieces. It was a real contrast to see what it looked like. It was incredible. Wow. So. Um, look, in, in a sec, what I'd love, to, what I'd love us to do is, um, um, I'll, I'll, I'll look at one of your your drums, your your drum covers that you've done. Um, but just before we do that, I, I want to ask a question, um, because so you've um, you've been you've you've lived a, you've lived the life, haven't you? you? You've 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 met uh, you met your 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 childhood hero. Um, I know that because it's Rude Van Nistelrooy, um, um, who used to play for Manchester United. Um, you, you've been to, to Oxford, got the degree that everyone would love. Um, um, you've, you, you're married. You, you, you've got a, a happy, a happy home, um, and you've overcome massive adversity. And, and I want to ask: in all this, why do you need Jesus? For a start, I'll start with a negative thing and then go positive. First, the negative thing is these things are all temporary and these things are not perfect. These things will let me down at some point. So, okay, I've got the degree from Oxford, for example, but the the time there was horrific. The attack on my faith, the attack on my health, all these sorts of things was awful. Um, no home is perfect, you know. No relationships and no friendships and no things like that is perfect. And all these things will end one day, you know, music wise, I've tried to succeed in my music in many different ways. And I've hit barrier after barrier after barrier when it comes to trying to get session work, trying to be recognized for more than just my disability, all these sorts of things, you know, um, as well as various online abuse. I can take that. I don't really care about that, but it happens, you know, all these things are tainted from what, you know, see as a sinful world and they're all temporary. Um, Jesus is not temporary. He's permanent. And this is something that, can satisfy me and fulfill in this life and in the next life and you know that hope um i have beyond death you know i to be honest with you i don't really i want to do you know good and do what i can in this life get the experience i'm a bit of an experience junkie so i love experiencing new things and trying things you know be you know doing as exciting things as i can but what's you know what good is a legacy of experience when it's all going to end one day it doesn't matter does it but if i have that hope that i'm going to look at jesus face to face one day and actually have those words, well done, good and faithful servant, said to me, that's infinitely better than anything that I could have experienced throughout what I've done in my life, what I've achieved, what I'd like to achieve. Um, I want to achieve because I enjoy it and I want to glorify God in the things that I do and in all the things that I do as much as I can. Again, I'm not perfect, so that doesn't always happen, but I want to glorify God in all the things I can do. But the things I do are not really worth anything to be honest compared to what jesus has done for me and that's where my identity is found my identity is not in you know an oxford graduate a musician um in my family or friendship relationships um even in it's not in a church but it's in my it's in my faith um it's in my it's in christ my identity is and that's why that's much more important than anything else that Hmm. i could ever do what i could ever do is you know 
relatively worthless compared to that, quite frankly. Wow. Oh, Cornell, do you know, that's that's just been a, a really, it's been a quick whistle-stop tour, really, through through all that you've done, but it's been really amazing just to hear um, how, how you as an individual have grown and also as a Christian have grown. Um, but what I think for our, our drummers and, and those of us who have tuned in for, for, um, for Cornell the drummer, what would be lovely is if we, we're, we're going to um, gonna switch to in a second your, your cover of a Foo Fighters song, um, which you've got 1. Is it 1.6 million um, um, of views on? Yeah, it was my first, it's my first and only video I've got over a million views on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm 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 near about there, you know, on, on most of mine, you know. Yeah, people love me on on YouTube. I have to I have to say. Um uh, so 1.6 million. I mean look, uh, take a, it's a Foo Fighters cover, but they tagged you, is that right? Uh, yeah, so I was acknowledged by them at some point. Yeah, it's been, I've been really fortunate. A lot of, I do a lot of online work, a lot of music work online, either covers yeah. or originals or various things. And yeah, fortunate the Foo Fighters and some others have been, you know, have tagged me in various things. My online stuff has actually got me quite a lot of opportun musical opportunities, which has been amazing. Wow. So uh, look, let's let's watch that now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just a couple minutes and then it'd be nice to just ask a couple of technical questions if that's not too rude. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah great. So James, can we um, can we flip to that now? Cornell, what um, is there? Is it, do you have a different setup when you're playing drums to uh, like how normally people have the setup? Uh, a little bit. So um, what I've done here is uh, because of my artificial foot's on my right foot, um, I play bass drum with my left foot because I like quicker. I quicker left foot bass drum hit basically. Um, so that means my hi hat has to go on my right foot on the other side, which is unorthodox. So when so you see the hi hat, the little symbols that you operate with your feet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I've added another higher symbol where they traditionally would be left with the snare drum. So my right hand is a drummer, but a left foot drummer, which means I'm all over the place, really, cross, you know, crosswise. It's like a, it's, like, it's an ergonomic nightmare, really. So that's how I've got around it by adding another hi-hat symbol. That's amazing. And um, technically, what was the hard, hard thing about this piece? Uh, at the time, um, I was still working on, I mean, this piece is quite old now. I did this about nearly 10 years ago. <laughs> um, it's a long time ago, but I was working on um, stamina on the 16th notes on the hi-hat. So in the verses, when I'm doing that, yeah, that constant beat pattern, because I'm having to turn my body unnaturally over the snare drum, it's actually keeping that stamina going whilst keeping those 16th notes going was probably the hardest bit for me of this yeah. song specifically. Yeah. But I noticed you are you are sweating like nothing on there. And most of your most of your I take I, I take it it takes because you're using your arms and most people are using their wrists, is that correct? And it, therefore it, it, it it's far more exerting for you. Uh, partly. It's also because um, in truth I don't have as much to sweat out of because I'm missing three limbs, so it comes on my head unfortunately. <laughs> and um what was I going to say? Um, and is do you do you actually is this following as a standard beat, or is there a particular pattern that that is quite unusual about this? Uh, so a little bit. I, I I follow the basic beat of this song, so I'm pretty close to it. I do add a few flourishes and a few changes. Um, when I was first starting out doing these covers, so that's like I said, quite an old one. I would stick to the beat a bit more, but now I'm being a bit more ingenuitive with you know with with them. I would like to think so. I'm doing a lot more sort of individual stuff, a lot more. You know, flourishes on the covers that I do now. I'm learning, well, still playing sort of complicated beats, a lot of polyrhythms. So I'm trying to play, you know, I've got videos of playing different time signatures on different on each different limb, for example. That's what I'm, you know, wow. trying to hone and perfect at the moment. I'm trying to write, so I, I can play that and I'm trying to write music around that, but that's quite challenging because my theory is rubbish. So I've learned to play by ear pretty much everything, basically. So when I play bass, for example, even in church on a Sunday, my sight reading's rubbish, so I'll just listen and just try and play by ear, basically. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, listen, we've had these questions coming in from from Slido. Uh, do you mind if Do you mind if I ask a few of those? Let's go for it. Um, that'd be amazing. Um, so, so uh, great. Some some good questions here about uh, about your daily um, daily Christian walk, really. If I can use it, that if I can use that phrase. Um, so the one is um, from once struggling to read the Bible and finding it dry. How did you get a passion to study it back again, and what difference have you seen it make? So in truth, I don't think it really came back until I came back home from university again. That was the thing. But um, actually, I ended up instead of sort of doing university modules that I thought would be you know beneficial I actually for my own I saw my own faith as more important so actually I was choosing my modules in second and third year and I would choose modules that actually kind of avoided the dry bible reading type thing of it and actually choose things which were either more engaging or just avoided it altogether so I could keep my bible reading as something almost sacred and special rather than sort of ruining it like that but what did help was actually fellowship with others so I would have I did find a few Good, fellowship, good friends to have fellowship with, um, both at university and back in Worcester, that I would read the Bible with once a week or once or twice a week. And actually doing that with other people was really helpful. And I know that's difficult at the moment, obviously, when see, you know, with lockdown and things like that, but virtually I did it as well. And it's actually something I've been doing recently with friends of mine up here as well, virtually reading Bible. And I think actually reading the Bible and discussing it with other people is vital in bringing it back and actually hearing the experiences of people with Bible verses, you know, including your own experiences as well, and how that relates to real life really helped bring it back to 
combating the dryness which I studied. So yeah, fellowship and other people reading with other people and seeing how the Bible applies to each of our lives is so mm. encouraging. It's such a way of tackling that dryness. Mm. Mm. And that's that's the joy of, of the Christian faith, isn't it? It's it's not an academic study and and it's that it's 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 developing and growing in a relationship with god that is so special um another question says um does your own positive experience of adoption inspire you to encourage others to adopt as well um does being a christian affect this yes and yes um I'm such an advocate for adoption. I think it's fantastic. I think that um, I think it can work if you have your own biological children and then want to adopt. I think it can work if you can't have children. I think it can work if you know you want to just adopt. All all round, I think it's fantastic. I would recommend adoption one hundred percent. I think it's fantastic, and I think as a Christian, it influences this for me on two levels. So the first one is um, from a loving point of view. I think Christian parents, you know, being loving towards children can be loving towards you know, an adopted child. And my Christian parents demonstrated that. And I think all the tenets of the faith and the teachings of Jesus really help with that, I think. But also, um, I think seeing that sort of salvation story and that rescue plan, um, I see that in my life because I see I see God's salvation plan. I see my life sort of almost mirroring God's salvation plan in that I was rescued, you know, from physical circumstances and we will be rescued from sin, from the bad things we've done and can have a relationship with God. And we're adopted into his family. And I think from a Christian point of view, that's such a great mirroring of that. Just like, you know, like marriage is a mirror of, you know, Jesus and the church. I think adoption can be such a great mirroring, such a great sign of the relationship we have with God being adopted into his family. So yeah, being a Christian absolutely impacts that. Well, wow, thank you, Cornell. That's a that's a, a brilliant challenge. A good question as well. Really brilliant challenge. Um, so here's another one. When you were going through the lowest points in your life, how did you rely on God's strength to give you the power to get through? In truth, I needed the encouragement of others. Again, I'm going back to this fellowship thing. Um, again, it was, you know, fellowship with others is what brought me back to the faith initially. Fellowship with others is what's helped me through. And I think that actually, even when we feel like we want to be alone, we want to do these sorts of things. Um, actually, for a start, I think it's engaging with other Christians. And I say, I mean, yes, we can hang out and speak to our friends and family. But I think specifically, there is a unique relationship that Christians have with each other because we're united in Christ. And actually, I think relying on God, for me, it would always come with me confiding in another Christian and having that relationship and fellowship that would always help but also relying on god is it's an because we are sinful it's an it's an up and down thing for me and that i don't think it's not a sort of oh i'm feeling really low oh, i'm going to rely on god and everything is instantly okay that's not how we work you know we 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 doubt we have doubts in our we have doubts in our faith doubts in our own abilities doubt in our life doubt in sometimes doubting what god is doing but actually it's to sort of accept that there is that up and down that we're sinful but jesus is that constant within our lives and actually again also with that fellowship with other people that can help us see that and share experiences i think and so here's a thank you corner that's that's um that's really helpful about your personal walk um, um here's another great question slightly referring to your rebellious teenage streak uh, yeah. um what would you say to a teenager in a world that says it's all about yourself and god is irrelevant so it, it, it keeps coming back to this fellowship thing, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> for a start, I think the communities that Christians can offer and the welcome that Christians can offer, especially for young people, is a portrait of heaven. It's a portrait of what of that 
unique love that God gives to that God gives to Christians and gives to believers. I think um, God is relevant because all these things are temporary, and I don't even mean from I don't even mean like life things are temporary because you know because they just go on in this life. Teenage things are temporary. Rebellion is temporary. You know, um, spending time you know have, having fun with your friends and you know down the park or whatever you or whatever you're doing. You know, going to the cinema, enjoying you know things you like to do as a teenager. Those things often go away even in later in life. They're temporary. But actually, God is permanent and can really give that fulfillment that it's difficult to explain, I think, unless you experience it yourself, because God can impact us so uniquely um, individually. And I think what I, the advice I'd give to teenagers, for example, is just try it. Just try and be open to God. You know, that, have that as a first step. Just try and open your heart and see where he leads you. You know, try a prayer. Pray for his presence. Pray for a group of, you know, pray for a fellowship. Pray for these things. Just First of all, just try. Just try that openness. You know, if you're willing to try, you know, all manner of things as a teenager like I was, surely willing to try openness with God is just, you know, just another thing you can try. And I think you might be surprised. Hmm. Cornell, that's that's really amazing. You know, we, we've got to, to, to five past twelve and, uh, and and we've we've run out of time, really. But one last question, actually, before we finish. Um, and that's about sort of accessibility um, in church. How do you think churches can be more accessible to those with different disabilities? How can we reflect our father's love better in this area? Absolutely. So it's understanding that there are, it's understanding disability in the sense that I think you understand anybody else's needs. So the church is a body, isn't it? We're not all, we're not all a hand or a leg or a mouth. We're all different parts of this body, aren't we? And it's understanding that disabled people um have these parts to play to serve as well so they they can serve they can do these things you know they they are part of the body as well they it's not just the church cares for disabled people it's that disabled people are actively included in this service they are parts of the body themselves and that's so important to know that they will serve and worship and be as valuable with their physical and spiritual gifts um as much as non-disabled people will be quite frankly so i think that's the biggest thing for accessibility in churches but it's also sort of understanding the sort of the way in which disabled people interact with others we're all people in christ aren't we there's not I, this distinction in christ of disabled people and non-disabled people i don't think exists in that sense so it's there's a sensitivity to need and helping people when they need it just like you would with anybody else but also it's understanding disabled people can serve um, they want to serve. They want to be included in this sort of thing. They want to be a part of the body of the church. And in Christ, that's where our identity is. It's not in mm. our disabilities or anything like that. It's in him. And we want to be part of that body equally. And in many places I've been, that's always been the case. I think it's been fantastic. So I've actually, I'm very, you know, very pleased with, in that sense, how accessible the church is. So yeah, it's not something about built environment or accessible formats or things like that. It's understanding that same desire to serve and same desire to be included in Christ as everybody else wants to be. Yeah. Well, Cornell, you know, it's, it's just been such a blessing um, to have you um, just spend your time, give us your time this morning. Um, as I said, ordinary bloke, but extraordinary things, um, extraordinary experiences. Um, and it's also fantastic to have, um, to have you help just walk us through, you know, some of the real struggles, the prejudices you've experienced and walk us through um, almost that sense of how do you make sense of it meaning um out of out of life and in life and and where do you find anchoring uh, your your soul and identity 
Um, and it's just been a real um, eye-opener to see how you've grounded your identity in the person of Jesus and what that means for you and what it looks like and how in spite of everything that's in spite of everything you've done everything you've, you've experienced everything you've achieved that's that person of Jesus is who you need uh, the most um, can I just uh, just in, in closing can I just sort of say to, to everyone watching um, um, if if there's anything that we, we've talked about this morning you'd really like to talk through more uh, we'd love it if you could email church office, which is um, office at oakhallchurch.org.uk. Just send an email um, and, and, uh, and, and let us know how we can uh, pray for you, how we can send you some, some in, more information about, um, about Jesus. Um, we've got, um, we've got uh, books that would help explain it. We've, we've got a course going on at the moment called Christianity Explored. Uh, we can share details with that. Um, and, and, and again, if, if, uh, if you'd like to, to, if you'd like someone to pray with, um, again, we'd, we'd love to do that. Do uh, email the office. Um, but uh, Cornell, just the biggest thanks to you. Uh, that's, our, that's, our, that's our final word, really. Just thank you so much for uh, giving us your time and uh, for uh, talking us through your life. And um, we're, we're just privileged to have you this morning. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. All glory to God for what I've been able to share this morning. All glory to him. Yeah. Thanks, Cornell. We'll, we'll call it there. And, uh, and, and thanks, everybody, for logging in. It's been a really good morning. Um, God bless you.